0: Today we are getting near the end of our study in Philippians, uh, just today and then next Sunday. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, winning the war with worry. How many of you never worry? If you never worry, you could leave. But if you ever worry, you better stay. Some good counsel about worry. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given to us. By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply them to our lives today and I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read a story about a man who raised chickens. Among them was a rooster whose occasional crowing began to greatly annoy the neighbor. And so early one morning, this disgruntled neighbor called the farmer and said, that miserable bird of yours keeps me up all night. The farmer said, I don't really understand. He hardly ever crows. But if he does, it's never more than two or three times. And the neighbor said, that isn't my problem. It's not how often he crows that irritates me, what keeps me awake it's not knowing when he might crow, can you identify with a man like that? Do you lose sleep over those things that might happen? those things that could occur, those events that could come your way? If you are prone to worry, then Jesus has some encouragement for you. We saw or heard that from Matthew chapter six verse thirty four Jesus says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you found that to be true? you got enough for today. You don't need to bring tomorrow's concerns into today. So it really doesn't make sense to be overcome by worry. God is able to give us peace in the midst of worry. I read a little... uh, a study, Dr. Walter Cabert, I did a survey on worry, and he discovered that only about 8% of the things people worry about were really legitimate matter, matters of concern. 8%. So the other 92% were either imaginary, they never happened, or the involved matters over which you had no control anyhow. So Why do we spend our time worrying? So what does Paul tell us about how to deal with worry? First of all, we win the war with worry by choosing to rejoice in the Lord. Of all the things that make us anxious or cause us to worry, I think there's probably two things that are probably at the top of the list. The first is our circumstances. Have you noticed that things don't always go the way you want them to go? Have you discovered that? You don't have to live very long in this world to realize that. We lay out our plans of, of what we're going to do, and all of a sudden something changes those plans. Our ever-changing circumstances cause us to be anxious. I didn't expect this. I wasn't planning for this. I don't really like this. Our circumstances can change pretty, pretty quickly. And the second thing that causes us anxiety is, is people. Have you discovered that people can bring anxiety into your life? What a dumb question, huh? I, I am, I realize that I have been the source of anxiety for people over the years. Especially with my driving. Okay? I am not one of those, when you come from the stop sign, that you put that gas pedal down and you take off as fast as you can. Okay? Nor am I one who speeds. I have it on occasion, but that's just not my habit. And So, I can think of many times when I'm driving down a road, maybe taking off from the stop sign, I look behind me and you've got people going, Like this, you know, and going like that. And then they zoom past you and cut in front of you just about hit your front bumper. And I say to myself, that's impressive. That is amazing. Wow, you are an awesome driver. People can cause us anxiety. Our circumstances can cause anxiety. And if there was ever a man who understood that is the one who wrote these words from Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul. Think of his circumstances. Where is he as he's writing these words? If you've been with us during our study of Philippians, you know he's in prison. He's in jail. (laughs) Difficult times for him. And people. He describes in chapter 1 those who were preaching christ they were not you know false teachers but they were trying to cause more trouble for paul while he was in prison and yet in the midst of that if you go back to chapter one you will see how in verse 18 paul says what then okay here i am in jail here are these people trying to cause problems for me what then he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in, cru- in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. What, a, what an attitude in the midst of a difficult situation, people trying to cause trouble for him, and yet he says, I'm just going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. And I think the key is that he has focused on the Lord, not on people Not on the circumstances of life, but on the Lord. And that's why he says then in verse 4 of our text, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the key, isn't it? Where is our focus? Is it on people causing us trouble? Is it on the circumstances of life that are difficult? Or is our focus on the Lord today? That's where true joy is found, isn't it? I think of what John MacArthur says. Some people wrongly identify joy as a purely human emotion. And they find Paul's twice-repeated command to rejoice puzzling. How, they ask, can people be commanded to produce an emotion? He says joy is not a feeling. Joy is not an emotion, it is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and His own glory, and thus all is well no matter what the circumstances. The only sure, reliable, unwavering, unchanging source of joy is the Lord. That is why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Are you rejoicing in the Lord today? Is your focus on Him? Not looking at the trouble around you. Not looking at people who are causing anxiety in your life. But focusing on the Lord. If there's one thing that helps with worry, it is choosing to rejoice in the Lord. Second thing he mentions is prayer. Praying with thankfulness. I think one of the reasons why we sometimes struggle with worry is because we try to carry the burdens of life on our own. Carrying things that that God never intended us to carry and it brings anxiety into our lives. That's why Paul says in this very familiar passage that we are to bring All of those things to the Lord in prayer. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's pretty all-inclusive, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanksgiving, present your needs to God. So what does he mean by with thanksgiving? Thankful for what God has already done in our lives. Isn't that important? Recounting the ways that God has provided for us as we bring our needs to Him, looking back and and saying, God, You have been there every step of the way. You have provided for me in every need that I have. When we recount those things with thankfulness, you know what that does? That encourages us as we face the challenges of life today. Recounting all that God has done for us. And that helps us then to put our problems into proper perspective, doesn't it? I believe it really does. Some of you know of Matthew Henry, the scholar, Bible commentator. He was once accosted by thieves and robbed of his purse. He wrote these words in his diary. Notice his focus. He said, Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Let me be thankful second because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, he says, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I... Who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now that's quite a focus, isn't it? Here you are just robbed of your money taken away, and yet in his diary, he's expressing thanks to God for how God had cared for him through that. With thanksgiving. Make your request to God, recounting all that God has done for us. How about giving thanks to God for what He's going to do? Can we do that? Can we, as we pray, give thanks to God for what He is going to do in answer to our prayers? You ever pray that way? ever say, God, here's my need. I believe that You are a God who answers prayer and I am thanking You in advance for what you're going to do in answer to my prayer. I think we can pray that way. Now, does that mean that God is going to give to us everything we've asked for? Is He going to answer our prayer in exactly the way that we have prayed? I think we all know the answer to that. No. But, God in His wisdom, in His love for us, will He not answer in a way that is best for us? Absolutely. So we can be thankful in advance for what God is going to do in answer to our prayers. And notice what happens when we pray in this way. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, Paul says that peace will guard you. It will guard your heart and your mind. The word guard is, is as you can expect, a military term. And it was used in Paul's day to describe a, a soldier or Or someone who is guarding. And that's something the Philippians would have understood. They were a Roman colony and there were Roman soldiers there guarding the entrance to the city and probably roaming through the city. And so they they understood the picture. And so Paul says this is what God's peace will do. That peace will guard our hearts and minds. And it is a peace that is supernatural, isn't it? It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our understanding. I remember one lady told me several years ago she was going through a tough time, and she said, "You know what, Pastor, I should be worried about this." I said, "What?" She said, "Yeah, I should be worried about this." Well I said, "No, you really shouldn't be worried. God' not to worry. No, you know what I mean is, if God had not given me peace in the midst of this, she said, I would be a mess." But God had given to her a peace that she could not explain, which was not normal, which was not of her own doing. It was God's peace guarding her heart and mind. And she said, I can't explain it. But God has just given me a peace. Have you experienced that before? In the midst of something and you just, you know, you you think in my own uh, flesh, I, I I should be falling apart, but God was there and providing His peace. I, I think of my my grandmother, my dad's mom. She was going through a, a difficult time, and there was a pastor that visited their community, and she was telling him about this. She said, "I I just." I just can't seem to get peace over this. I, I, I'm just so anxious and worried about this. And he asked her, of course, well, have you, have you prayed about it? Well, yeah, I, I, I pray about it. But she said, I still don't have peace. And he said, you know what? He said, I was just at the store. And there was this boy who had a ball in his hand. And she, he said, he threw it at me and I ducked. He said that ball was attached to a rubber band. And he came back to him and caught it. And he laughed, thought that was so funny. And he said, you know, Mrs. France, he said, you're just like that boy with that ball. You, you pray and you give it to the Lord. And as soon as you say amen, what you do, you take it back. And he quoted from that hymn, take your burden to the Lord, What? Leave it there. Leave it there. That's sometimes the struggle, isn't it? We pray and we give it to God and and then as soon as we say amen, we pick it up and we start worrying about it again. That's not the true essence of prayer. Prayer is when we recognize our weakness, our dependence on the Lord and we cast our care on Him because we can't handle it. And if we've given it to the God of creation, the God of all power, is He able to handle it? Absolutely. Take your burden to the Lord and, and leave it there. So We rejoice in the Lord. We pray with thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say that we are to dwell on the Word of God. Dwell on the Word of God. Paul makes it clear in many many of his epistles that that change in the Christian life it comes with our minds doesn 't it Romans twelve two do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how by the renewing of your mind ephesians four verse twenty two that in reference to your former manner of life Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there's something about filling our minds with truth, right? With God's Word, with His his promises. And notice how Paul then then challenges us in this passage about what we think about. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, and this is a present tense, then dwell on these things. Dwelling on those things that are true and honorable and so forth. Where do you find those things? Those things that Paul mentions in verse 8. Star Tribune? Hardly. CNN? Hardly. Hollywood movies? Social media? This is what people, many people are filling their minds with. I'd call that spiritual garbage. Filling their minds with things that are discouraging and impure and false and so forth. Where do we find these things that Paul mentions here? We find them in God's Word, don't we? If you look at Psalm 19, you will find that a lot of the things that Paul mentions here in verse 8 are describing God's Word. Listen. Psalm 19.7 The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Maybe you need to spend less time on Facebook and more time face-to-face with Jesus and His Word. Would that make a difference in people's lives? They spend more time meditating, dwelling on, filling your mind with the Word of God. That'll make a difference in how you face life. That'll make a difference in the things that cause you to worry. When you are dwelling on the sure and true and faithful promises of God's Word. I've told you for 22 years you need more of God's word than church on Sunday. You may get tired of me saying that, and I guess I'll be gone in about a month or so, and then I'll... We need that every day. We need that time with Jesus in His word. It'll make a difference in your life. Takes discipline? Yes. Absolutely. If you, can think, if you think you can live on one meal a week, try it. Go ahead, try it. Have a big one for lunch today. Nothing till next Sunday. What are you going to be like? Don't live on one meal a week. Sunday morning, like my dad said, we get spoon-fed. Meditate on that word. The final thing, look at verse 9. Paul makes an interesting statement here. He is talking about the peace of God and now he talks about the God of peace. And here he, he talks about practicing the principles of God's Word. Verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Greet me at the door and say, Oh, Pastor, that was great. No? Practice these things, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. So what's he saying? We are not to be just hearers of the word, right? But to be doers of the word. Obedience, right? Practicing the things that we have learned and received and heard from God's Word. There's an interesting passage in Exodus chapter 14. And it illustrates this point that there are times when we have prayed about something and yet God says there's a step of action you need to take. Obedience. Exodus 14 starting at verse 10. A very familiar account. As Pharaoh drew near to the sons of Israel... They looked and behold the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, Okay, that's what they ought to have done. You kind of question how sincere their prayer was, because then they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bring us out of Egypt? Isn't that what we said? Leave us here, let us just serve the Egyptians be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here. So then Mo- Moses said to them in verse 13, he said, do not, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now that was good advice from Moses, right? God is the one who... Fights for you. But notice what the Lord said then to Moses in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? You read that thing. Well, well, who would I cry out to? Why are you crying out to me? Then he says, Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will go in after them. They will be drowned in the sea. God's saying they, they will know who I am, that I am the Lord. Now, why, why are you crying out to me? Why, why did God say that to Moses? I have pondered that quite a bit. I found something Charles Spurgeon said as he preached on that verse. He said, Far be it from me ever to say a word in disparagement of the holy, happy, heavenly exercise of prayer. And he goes on to say, But beloved, there are times when prayer is not enough. When prayer itself is out of season. When we have prayed over a matter to a certain degree, it then becomes sinful to tarry any longer. Our plain duty is to carry our desires into action. And having asked God's guidance and having received divine power from on high to go on at once to our duty without any longer deliberation or delay. And I think what he's saying here, there are times when God says, okay, I've Heard your prayer. You've prayed about this long enough. Now, you know what you ought to do. You know that there needs to be a step of action on your part. You can pray all you want, but if you're not following through with obedience, I think that's what, what, what the Lord is, is getting at that. It would be like asking God to take out the garbage when your mom says, you take it out. Right? Okay? This is the thing that God is calling us to. Do. So, are there times when we might be, I don't know, should I put it this way? Are there times when we might be using prayer as an excuse? When God says, this is what you need to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but along with prayer, there needs to be steps of action. And what is the result of that then? The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what's the result? The God of peace, the God of peace, will be with you. I don't think we can expect real peace to come if we're not willing to do what God calls us to do. We're worried about this, and God says, you know what? You need to deal with this. Yes, pray about it. Absolutely. But there's some step of action that, that, we, that we aren't willing to do. No wonder we don't have peace. Peace comes when we respond to God's uh, command or whatever that might be. So are you struggling with anxiety today? Worried about tomorrow? Wondering about next week? Carrying all kinds of things about the future into your life today? You've got enough to deal with today. Don't bring the future concerns and worries into your heart. Someone has said that peace isn't found in the absence of trouble, but in the presence of Jesus. If peace was found in the absence of trouble, how much peace would you experience? Not very much. Because I'm sure every one of us Every family represented here is going through some kind of struggle in some way. We're thinking that somehow all of those struggles and concerns are just going to vanish. Then I'll be at peace. Then I won't worry. That's not the world we live in. Peace isn't found in the absence of trouble, but in the presence of Jesus. And if He is with us, we don't need to be overcome by worry. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You for Your love for us, Your presence with us. Help us, Father, to rejoice in You today, to cast our care upon You today, to meditate on Your Word today, to put into practice those things that You've called us, those, those steps that we need to take. And may Your peace fill us Envelop us and cause us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray.